0: Welcome to Turning Point. The Bible says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Yet many believers still seem to be seeking what they already have. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah and guest Sheila Walsh discuss how this will be addressed in his teaching series, Everything You Need. To interview Dr. Jeremiah about this much needed series is today's special guest, Sheila Walsh.
1: Well, this new series is amazing. Everything you need. That's quite a promise. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain to us why you call this particular teaching series, Everything You Need?
2: Well, you know, I get most of my cues from the scripture. And in Second Peter chapter 1, it says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I was reading that one day, aware of how many Christians run around from place to place trying to figure out how to get what they already have. And it, it just struck me as kind of strange you know we don't need uh, more programs we don't need more professionals we just need more time in the word of god because the scripture says god has given us everything we need
1: what was it about this particular passage at this particular time do you think we're struggling in the church for lack of knowledge
2: well i think if there's one word that describes where everybody is today i think it's the word pressure everybody seems like they're under a lot of pressure and I have to be honest with you, Sheila, I got attracted to this particular passage because I think it's singularly one of the most perfect passages of Scripture in the Bible. First of all, there's a promise at the beginning, and there's a blessing at the end, and in between are all the things you need to do to get from the promise to the blessing. And it's right in the text, and it just grabbed me so much. I, th- I got to share that passage because it's so powerful. Yeah.
1: And you talk about this great adventure that begins with promises and ends in blessing. But I'm wondering, what about people who think, you know what, I wish I'd heard this message years ago. I'm too far beyond Mm -hmm. the promises of God.
2: Well, you you know, the the wonderful thing about all that, Sheila, is God's promises are eternal. They never run out. So no, no matter where you intersect with them, they still work. you don't have to go back someplace and start over God miraculously meets us wherever we are with whatever situation and you know it takes some of us longer to get the message isn't that true we have to go through more stuff until we hear him speak and then ultimately because of what's going on in our life I mean I can't get over how many times as a pastor I've found that the things that happen to us in our lives are God's way of getting our attention So he can help us understand how much he loves us and what he wants to do to help us.
1: You say that the promises of God are the foundation for this study. What do you mean by that? How does that impact the rest of the study?
2: Well, Peter says that uh, God wants to give us his great power. And his power is amazing. And I talk about that in one of the early chapters. But then he says that power comes to us. It's like there's a power station over here. And the wires from that power station that come to our lives, he says are the exceeding great and precious promises of the Bible. How do you get God's power in your life? You get it through the scripture. You don't just get zapped with it. You don't put your Bible into your pillow at night and it shows up the next day. You know, uh, that
1: would be nice. You know, it,
2: it, no, but the Bible says as you study the scripture and you understand what it says, it's God's way of conveying his power right into your life. His great exceeding precious promises
1: so let's look at the things that Peter um, said that we should add to our faith okay. I thought it was interesting that the first thing he talks about is diligence mm-hmm. um, why do you think Peter made that the very first step and what you call I love this a stumble proof life well
2: I think it's important because it's the thing we usually don't bring to the process mm-hmm. you know we hear a message we think we should do it but we don't do it diligently And the word diligently is a very powerful word. It means make this a serious effort on your part and do it diligently, practice it, work on it. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'll get around to it. Get at it, do it, make it your main objective.
1: The next thing that Peter talks about adding to our faith is virtue. Mm-hmm. That's not a word we use a lot in our culture anymore. What exactly is virtue? Well, let me
2: explain why we don't use it very much, because there isn't very much of it no, <laughs> in our that's culture. For
1: sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, virtue, the best definition of virtue is moral excellence. Wow. Doing the right thing. You know, there, there is a right and there is a wrong. And the Bible helps us understand. You know, one of the best illustrations of it, and I talk about this in that chapter, is that when Jesus Christ was on this earth, he was the model of virtue. And the way we can see virtue in his life more than anything else is the Bible says he always did those things that pleased his father. Amen. That was how he wow. lived his life. And, you know, if you want to be a virtuous person, you can get real technical about it. You can make all kinds of lists. But let me just give you the, what I think is the secret. Learn how to live your life to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Do what yeah. pleases him. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to wonder what those things are. Because he tells you pretty much in his scripture by his life, by his testimony. As Jesus Christ pleased his father, our goal is to please our Christ. And I remember reading this, and this isn't in the book, but it's really a powerful statement, and it goes like this. If we will be to Christ what Christ was to his Father, then Christ will be to us what his Father was to him. So we're in that same little construct where if we, if we study the life of Jesus and we watch how he functioned with his Father, we learn how to function with him.
1: Peter says to that, to diligence and virtue, then we add knowledge. Hmm. I think this is an interesting one because we're living in a time Mm. where people think technically we have access to more knowledge than we ever had. But what kind of knowledge is Peter actually talking about?
2: Well, let me just put a point in here for the importance of knowledge. Because there are a lot of people today who teach that if you really want to know Jesus Christ, you have to shut your brain off and just let your emotions rule that's a bunch of craziness and I hope that you haven't heard that and gotten caught up in it because we can't do anything with what we don't know. It's important to know some things Mm -hmm. and uh, in the Bible uh, we're taught, first of all, to study the Scripture and know what the Scripture says and uh, there's some homework involved in that. It's blessed homework but it's still homework. (laughs) You, You study the Scripture, you read the Word of God, you learn what the Word of God says and the more you study, the more you know The hungry you get for more information, and I can say that after 50 years of doing that. I mean, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. That's one thing for sure, and the more you want to know.
1: The next thing that Peter says we should add to our faith is self-control. And we live in a culture where we're getting bombarded every day with messages of you can have this and you can have it now. Mm. How do we learn self-control in this culture we're living in?
2: Well if we don't learn it, we won't make it. Uh, That's the truth. And um, there's so much out there that's begging for our attention and for our time and our commitment. And there's an interesting uh, little book in the Bible called the book of Titus. I'd like to encourage you to read that sometime. Let me tell you about the book. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to his protege, Titus. And Titus was serving in, in a place called the island of Crete. And uh, I'll never forget, he describes the people in Crete, and he says they're very unhappy people. And it was a very wicked little island. Hmm. In this letter to Titus, Paul instructs the elders to live with self-control. Why was he saying that? Because they were surrounded by all of this incredibly evil culture. And... If they were going to make it, they had to learn how to say no, how to walk away from stuff that was going to be uh, hurtful to them. And if they couldn't do that, Paul realized they wouldn't be able to survive. Well, we're like the island of Crete uh, on steroids. (laughs) You know, everywhere you look, there's all this stuff going on. How do you maintain your spiritual life if you cannot say, I'm not going there, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to listen to that, turn that off. And walk away from it.
1: Yeah. The next thing that Peter addresses is perseverance. What does it really mean to persevere?
2: The best way to say that is perseverance is continuing when you don't want to, (laughs) keep going when you want to quit. Yeah. Don't stop. Wow. Here's what I've learned somebody told me this when we think we can't do anymore, there's still 60% more that we can do we have our own little personal limitations that are comfortable to us Uh perseverance is going beyond where you think you can go and if especially in when it's for for a reason that's spiritual I mean let's all of us here if we're Christians we're Christians because somebody persevered somebody preached the gospel when it wasn't easy somebody came to your home when they'd rather been home watching TV somebody prayed for you Perseverance is one of the building blocks of who we are in Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ persevered Amen. all the way to the cross? Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. I love how you describe it. In, in this teaching, you actually call it relentless determination. That's what it is.
2: When you're involved in serving the Lord, um, the enemy comes along and he whispers in your heart, that's enough. You don't need to do that anymore. You're, you're finished. Mm-hmm. But you don't do that. Relentlessly you pursue, you know if we have something that's hard for us to do And you get caught up in the immensity of it. You will never be able to achieve it But you can achieve what comes tomorrow. Isn't it interesting? God created the world like this He gives us days and hours and weeks and years He could have created this just like a, an endless eternity even on this earth but I think those those places are good for us It's good that we have a week we can look back on. It's good that we have a day that we can say, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I can get here. And I just encourage people, try not to get so caught up in the past that you get depressed. And don't worry about the future because you're not there yet. Live today and ask God to give you the grace for today. And when you do that, He will do that. Yeah, that's beautiful.
1: The next thing that... Peter encourages us to add to our faith is godliness. And godliness is one of those words that just seems like it's kind of unattainable. It's very lofty. I love the way you describe
2: godliness. Sheila, can I just be honest with you? When I saw that list, I was pretty excited about everything that was on that list. When I saw godliness, I got, oh no. (laughs) you because know, you know that that's an intimidating word isn't it yeah, it is you know because and it's been used in the wrong way by a lot of people and and sometimes it can make you feel like well i'm not even in this race but let's face it when you break that word down it's simply this to be godly is to try to be like god that's all it means to, to do what god would do and it's not like we don't have an illustration because god in heaven nobody has seen you can't see him and live So he sent his son down here, who was God in the flesh, and allowed us to witness his life for 30-some years and see what it looks like to live godly. And it's not all the high um, stuff that we put. You know what it was? It was helping a woman who was caught in adultery. It was uh, helping a father who lost his child. It was reaching out to people with love and kindness. When you see the life of Jesus on this earth and what he did, it's not all this doctrinal stuff we think about. It's the love and ministry we have with other people. That's what it means to be godly.
1: Wow, that's powerful. There's a quote from this section of your teaching that I love, so I wrote it down. You said, as we progress in our Christian journey, we have an instinctive yearning to feel clean inside. And I think that yearning to be more like God sometimes causes a conflict within us. Mm-hmm. Because we're so aware of our own humanity, um, it can feel like a never-ending task. What would you say to that?
2: Well, I'd say it's true what you said. You know, that we, we do have a desire uh, to be clean inside. And... That's one of the blessings of daily confession and daily you know, we don't have to wait for a weekend or go someplace to confess our sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and then what's the rest of it?
1: Cleanse us from all cleanse us from all
2: unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So every day you just and you know, have you ever prayed this prayer, Lord? It's me again. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about this yesterday, but here I am again. <laughs> but, you know, your, your willingness to continue that conversation with the Lord because you so desire for your life to be clean.
1: When Peter talks um, about the next thing, when I came to this part of your teaching, I thought, I can't think of a time in our culture or in the church when we've needed this more. He talks about brotherly kindness, Why do you think Peter included that in this list?
2: Well, because he lived in a time similar to us. He lived in a time when people went about talking about love and not examining their own lives to see if it's true. In many of these chapters, I would take the quality that's on the list and then I try to find the central passage in the New Testament that taught that. the central passage for that one is in Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Isn't that a wonderful passage? That's what brotherly kindness is. And if you unlock that passage, there's like four or five points in there that teach you what it means to be kind and loving to one another, including a whole little section on not being angry. and If you go back to Ephesians 4, it's about verse 25 or so, and read that section, you will have Paul's sermon on brotherly kindness and what it looks like. And it's all real simple. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just the everyday things that we do that make a difference in who we are.
1: Well, we come to the conclusion of Peter's list, and we're told to add love to our faith. And you point out the New Living Translation describes as love for everyone Mm
2: -hmm.
1: how do we do that when there's i I mean i know there'll be many people out there who've been seriously hurt by someone how do you love when you've been wounded
2: it's not natural no no but it's supernatural yeah you can only love that person through the love of christ and i think the key to us is to realize how unlovely we were when christ died for us the bible even says it you know the Bible says it in so many different ways. He died for us when there really was no reason for him to do that. And here's what I've been learning in my life, Sheila. We love others out of the reservoir of God's love for us. If we don't learn that, we'll never be able to love the unlovely. And they're, they're everywhere, you know. Church is famous for collecting them, you know. And um, you have to learn by the grace of God. And when you think about it, I can't love that person. You just have to stop for a moment. And, and thank God for the way he loved you because you weren't really a prize either. So,
1: What are some practical ways that we can learn how to intentionally be loving?
2: There's opportunities everywhere around us. I mean, this world is starving for the love of God. And, you know, the only love of God that anybody's ever going to feel or know is the love of God that comes through us. We are the hands and the arms of God through Jesus Christ. And if we don't show that love, they're never going to feel it. They're never going to sense it. And that's what it really is. It's being a channel for God's love to other people. Yeah, You
1: talk about claiming God's promises. Um, so when we add these eight characteristics to our faith, what are the blessings that we can expect from well,
2: God? Well, I can't go through all of those. We don't have time. But let me just tell you, there's seven of them. Five of them you get now. Two of them you've got to wait for. This is one of the reasons that that i wrote this book and this is what grabbed me it, and listen to this is right from the bible i'm not making this up peter said after talking about all these things he said this if you do these things you will never stumble i thought can that be true but then i thought back on him. if you lavishly devote yourself diligently to the growth of your life in the areas that he describes in that chapter here's what he says if you do these things you will never stumble and then he said at the end of them the last one he said you will go into eternity abundantly wow in other words doesn't say if you do these things you'll go to eternity because you can't work your way to heaven it's not about going to heaven it's about how you go to heaven and he says if you want to go to heaven kind of slipping in the back door you can do that Or if you want to go to heaven with your hands up high, rejoicing that you've had the privilege of honoring the Lord and living for him during your lifetime, you can do that. He says, if you do these things, you will have an abundant entrance into heaven. Hallelujah.
1: This is amazing. What a promise. Wow. That chapter has impacted me so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, that... This is Peter who sat at the Lord's feet saying to us, here's this promise. You do this and this will happen.
2: And he didn't exactly live a perfect life. No. I mean, he had his moments. He had his trouble until he figured it out and got it right. And then was honored to be crucified upside down instead of being crucified right side up because he felt he wasn't worthy of the Lord he loved.
1: As we bring this to conclusion, let me ask you, how has studying this passage impacted your own life?
2: You know, um, it's very emotional to me. It's just another reminder, you know, of the sufficiency of the Word of God. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have so many Christians running hither and yon, trying to find out what's wrong or what's missing or who can I talk to, what great preacher can I listen to, what sermon can I watch on TV, send me that CD. i got to have this worship experience. And then you read this simple letter, and it says, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Now, the fact that he's given it to us as a gift. Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he said, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. In other words, God has worked it in, now you work it out. God's given you this gift, and go do it.
1: when people come to the end of this book, to the end of this series, what's your, I know you pour your life into these for so long. What's your prayer that as people finish this, that they will walk away with?
2: 20 years ago, I went through two bouts of lymphoma cancer. A really difficult time in my life. I had a stem cell transplant, and, and I've been free of cancer since then. I'm so grateful for that. But listen, I went to the Mayo Clinic right after I was uh, diagnosed and they did a major um exploratory surgery cut me from head to toe almost and i got home after i'd been there for a while and went into my house and uh, we had a recliner in the living room i went and sat in that recliner and donna brought me a stack of cards that had come while i was gone from people and on top of that stack of cards was this book and the book was written by Gordon MacDonald, a man that I had known uh, fr- from the past. And the book was called The Life God Blesses. You can't imagine how hungry I was to read that book after what I'd just been through. I wasn't asking the why question anymore. I was asking the what question. Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? So I opened that book. And before I got through the first chapter, he told a story. And I'm just going to summarize this story. I'll never forget it. He talked about a guy uh, wh- whose name was Michael Plant. Who was, he was a champion yachtsman, and he was getting ready to try to make the, the fastest journey from America to France in his sailboat, which was a state-of-the-art sailboat. And he took off from the United States, and a little way into his journey, they lost contact with him. Eleven days later, they found his boat... Upside down near the Azores Island, I think. And that's very unusual. I'm not a sailor, but I'm very unusual because sailboats are like uh, the balloons that you put in the water. You hit them in the top and they come back up. And the reason for that is sailboats have a ballast underneath them to overcompensate for everything that's above water. And the ballast on Michael Plant's boat was 8,400 pounds. When they found his boat... The ballast was missing they didn't know what happened maybe it wasn't bolted right maybe it came off and uh, they they had all kinds of reasons but the boat couldn't function because what was above the water line was heavier than what was below the water line and i'll never forget that impact in my life jeremiah Don't worry so much about what's going on above the waterline. Make sure you take care of what's going on below. Because you can't sail your boat through the storms if you haven't built beneath the waterline of your life, which is what all these principles are about. And that's what I'd like you to take away. We all got to be successful. We got our stuff to do, our jobs to do, our places to go. But if we're not careful, we forget that we can't function as believers if we don't have a ballast. That holds us upright when the storms come. I remember the first time um, it really registered to me what Peter had said in his second letter when he said that we have everything we need for for godliness and for for life, and and it really resonated with me. I don't have to look for anything else that uh, will make me better. Uh, I have everything I need to make me better in the promises of God. And that's what this series is all about. And I wrote a book about it some years ago. That book is available from Turning Point. It's called Everything You Need. There's a study guide that goes with it. But I want to tell you, uh, here's what you can get when you send a gift to Turning Point during this month. It's a book by my friend Rob Borgen, and it's called The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 152 pages, hardcover gift book with 10 God-given strategies for navigating life's tempestuous seas. God helped Paul navigate the storm, and he's wanting to help you through your storm as well. Yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point, when you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away.
0: Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us tomorrow right here. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine turning points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we begin the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than eight thousand study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb.
2: Clichés are clichés not just because they are repeated often, but because they contain a kernel of truth that makes people say, that's really true. One such cliché is this, things could always be worse. I know these words are small comfort at the moment when life is painful, but it's the truth, things could always be worse. One writer said it this way, if you can't be thankful for what you have, be thankful for what you've escaped. And the Apostle Paul's take on it was, in everything, give thanks. Every moment of every day, regardless of our circumstances, we have reason to be thankful. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to be grateful on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.